Thank you, Alicia. Good morning. It's good to be here with all of you today. As Alicia said, my name is Jacob. I'm uh, one of the elders here at the branch, and I'm excited to be here with you. If you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bible to Genesis 32. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the lobby that you're welcome to use, welcome to take home if you don't own one. We'll be in chapters 32 and 33 today. So I want to ask you this morning, have you ever been afraid of something so much that you wanted to hide from it? As I was thinking about this question, I remember this story from my childhood. One summer when I was 10, I was out playing with my friends one afternoon in our backyard, and in our backyard we had a vegetable garden, and there was a fence, and then behind the fence our neighbors had a shed and a pool. So somehow we got the idea that it would be fun to take cherry tomatoes from the garden and start throwing them at our neighbor's shed to see how big they would splatter. Not the best idea, but we were having fun, right? We didn't really think about the mess it was causing or anything like that. We just kept going on throwing things at his shed. And then suddenly from the other side of the fence, we hear him yelling at us that he's going to call the cops because we made a mess of his yard. So what do we do as 10-year-olds? We race away on our bikes trying to hide. I was afraid of this guy, and I was certainly afraid of him calling the cops, and I was even afraid of what my parents would think when they found out what I had done. So my answer to that fear was to hide, waiting to see which car was driving down the street, or if it was the police coming. And where could we hide that they wouldn't find us? Well, the cops, they didn't come. And I don't think our neighbor even tried to look for us. So eventually, I went home. I was still afraid, though. I was filled with thoughts of what might happen, and I couldn't hide these emotions. So I ended up telling my parents. Now, you see, if you know me, you know that I don't remember stories very well. But I remember this story so vividly because of what happened next. My fear of these consequences was met with grace and love, not harsh punishment. I did have to help my neighbor clean up his yard, but there was no other punishment, and my neighbor was even friendly as we cleaned things up. As a 10-year-old, I was pretty shocked by this. I was attempting to hide from a fear, and my attempts were for nothing. It turned out I didn't need to be afraid. And in our passage today, we see a lot of fear. We see a man who is afraid, and it is causing him to hide, trying to escape his fear. And in the end, we'll see that he didn't need to be afraid. We're going to look at our passage in three parts. First, how we try to handle our fear, and then an encounter that will change you, and finally, how will your life be different because of this encounter? So first, starting at the beginning of chapter 32, we see how we try to handle our fear. As we've seen over the last few weeks, Jacob has spent his life being sneaky and deceptive while chasing after blessing. His life has been full of struggles, first with his brother, when he tricks him into selling his birthright, and then with his father, Isaac, when he deceives him in order to, to take Esau's blessing for himself. And last week, we saw him in conflict with Laban. He's certainly upset many people with this deceptive ways, and now he's backed into a corner. God has called him home, and in doing so, he's going to have to face Esau. Jacob's afraid of facing Esau, because if you remember, back in chapter 27, we saw Esau intent on killing Jacob. He said, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Esau. Jacob is a lot like us. 
He likes to solve his own problems. So in true Jacob fashion, what does he turn to first in an effort to appease Esau? He makes his own plan, a scheme to take care of the situation just like he's done in the past. And for the first part of his plan, he sends this messenger to tell Esau that he's coming back and of all these belongings and riches that he's gained in his time away. This is indicating gifts that he can give to Esau. He's not in need of anything. You see, Esau could be thinking that Jacob's coming to take something else from him because that's what he's done always. But that's not the case this time. He doesn't need anything. Surely this will settle his conflict with Esau. But the message that comes back is that Esau is coming to meet him and bringing 400 men with him. Have you ever tried to send a messenger like Jacob did? Sent someone to find something out for you? You're unsure of what the response is going to be, so you put something or someone between you and that feeling of unrest. I remember in college being interested in this girl that I'd met at a campus ministry, but I wasn't sure if she was interested in me. Fortunately for me, one of my friends, Lisa, was dating this guy who was friends with her. I didn't want to look like a fool asking her out if she didn't like me, so I asked Lisa to find out if Andrea liked me. I was avoiding any chance of rejection or embarrassment. I'm pretty sure they even told Andrea that I was never going to call. But I did, and it's worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> but you see, when Jacob heard the response, he thought it was terrifying rejection. His brother and 400 men were coming at him and his family. Esau isn't bringing a small greeting party. He's bringing an army. Imagine that you were at a meeting with someone. You're going to this meeting, and you think you're meeting one-on-one, -on -one, and then you show up, and in the room there's 20 other people. You'd be pretty surprised, right? Let's say you're going to this meeting to apologize for something. Now all these extra people are going to make you nervous and afraid of what might happen next. So having received this message about the 400 men, we see in verse 7 Jacob's emotional state as he scrambles to figure out how to appease Esau. It says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. He's dividing his family and belongings in order to protect them. Right? There's no way Esau and his men can attack two places. Jacob's trusting in himself and his own plans for protection, but he's still distressed. And he has no other plans or tricks left up his sleeve. If these gifts he's preparing and the division of his family don't work, he's out of ideas. He's cornered. Then we see something out of character for Jacob. He starts trying God. Starting in verse 9, Jacob prays, pleading with God to give him favor in Esau's eyes, to protect him from the impending attack. His prayer is desperate and bold, for he has tried to put his own plans into place to ease his fear, but it's not working. He still feels cornered, and he thinks Esau is planning to kill him. We see him praying now, but then in verse 13, he goes back to his own plans. He's pleaded with God for protection from Esau's anger, to show him mercy, but Jacob continues to prepare this magnificent gift for Esau. He's still hedging his bets, doing everything in his own power to appease Esau and protect himself and his family from harm. How do you try to handle your fear of other people? How do you seek to gain favor from others? 
The other day, I was trying to get some things done, and Julia, as cute as she is, kept bugging me and wanting me to do things and asking me questions. So selfishly, I just wanted to do my thing, so I got frustrated and yelled at her, which, of course, then I felt bad. So what did I do? I gave her ice cream to make up for the way I treated her. <laughs> I don't know if you've tried that. Maybe you do more chores around your house or apartment when you've upset your uh, roommates or family. Or have you ever given a gift really in hopes of getting something in return? Have you ever tried to look or sound impressive to gain someone's favor? Have you, maybe you dressed up, you planned out exactly what you were going to say when you ask your future father-in-law for permission to marry his daughter. Or you do it in your workplace to impress your boss or in the classroom to make yourself feel smarter. You see, Jacob has planned and prayed, and then he plans some more, trying to figure out how to handle his fear. He has put in place many things to persuade Esau, a magnificent gift. He's divided his family and belongings, and he's meticulously arranged his approach and instructed his servants to address Esau in a specific way. And if we're honest this morning, we are a lot like Jacob. We plan and pray trying to fix our fear of people. For Jacob, trying to figure out how to handle his fear of Esau is not his real problem, though. And trying to figure out how to handle who we or what you are afraid of this morning is not your real problem, either. And in the next scene, we see Jacob encounter the one that he should fear, the one he needs blessing from. And it is the one that we should fear, the one we really need blessing from. This encounter is an encounter that will change him forever. Jacob's encounter with Esau is not what will change his life. He chased after Esau's birthright and tricked him out of it. His life wasn't changed. He chased after blessing from Isaac that belonged to Esau, and through this elaborate plan of deception, he took that too, but it didn't change his life. What are you chasing after? What are you creating elaborate plans for in hopes of changing your life, in hopes of relieving some fear? Starting in verse 24, we see Jacob in this iconic encounter, the encounter that will change his life. Read with me. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Then the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. He touched his hip socket, and his, Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So what is going on here? Jacob is so anxious and afraid that he has trouble sleeping that night. So he gets up in the middle of the night and he sends his family and everything he has away from the camp. He's seeking solitude, a time that he can devote to prayer without interruption. Then there's this man that wants to wrestle with him. But who is this man? Jacob doesn't know at first. But in Hosea 12.4, it gives us an image of who Jacob wrestled with. It says, he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. This shows us that we know 
that God is the one wrestling with Jacob. God has come to Jacob and instigated this wrestling match. This wasn't an easy wrestling match either. It went on for hours, a grueling match in the dark that continues until daybreak. Now there's much debate as to whether this wrestling described here was an actual physical conflict or just some vision that Jacob had. But that's not the point. The point is that Jacob really needs in his life is for God to bless him. And here we see him striving with God for that blessing. Have you pulled an all-nighter, studying for a test, or writing a paper, maybe with a crying baby or sick kid? Have you been kept up by fear or worry? It was exhausting, wasn't it? And if you think back to those times, it gives you a little glimpse of how Jacob is feeling in this moment. He is exhausted and continuing to wrestle despite his exhaustion. This struggle is reminiscent of his whole life. He's struggled to obtain a blessing from God. In the past, that struggle has been with man, relying on his own strength and smarts to obtain a blessing. But those attempts were tainted. But here, here, God has come in and is forcing Jacob to wrestle with him. All of those times that he deceived man, he was really working against God. Jacob needed an encounter with God to be blessed, not for Esau to bless him. And he realizes this in the middle of his wrestling match. When he feels like he's winning, and then with a simple touch, his hip is put out of joint. And the word for touch that's used here is really the lightest of touch. It's like taking your finger and just smashing an ant. That's all the force that it took for God to put his hip out of joint. And at this moment, Jacob realizes that he is wrestling with God. And now he's no longer trying to get away from the wrestling, but instead he's holding on, saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob won't let go. This is the blessing he's been chasing. This blessing guarantees that he will experience the favor of God, and it is the only blessing that will change his life. Jacob needed to be able to see God face to face and live. And he did. He gets God's blessing. In order to bless him, God wanted to change him. And we see him changed in a number of ways in this passage. He has this permanent injury to his hip that causes him to limp for the rest of his life, always reminding him of this encounter with God. God renames him. Anytime there's a renaming in the Bible, it's of huge significance. Here he's renamed from Jacob, which means the cheater, to Israel, which means strives with God. You notice God made him say his name. In saying his name, he was confessing all of his deceptive ways. His old life as a cheater was now gone. And in the final scene of this wrestling match, Jacob names the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. In naming this place the face of God, Jacob is acknowledging that his life has only been spared by the free grace of God. See, Exodus 33 tells us that sinners cannot see the face of God and live, but here, God's face is obscured by darkness. And when the day starts to break, God withdraws from the fight in order to protect Jacob. This preservation in wrestling anticipates that his life will be preserved the next day when he meets Esau. So how will his life be different? How will our lives be different because of this encounter? Jacob has had a life-changing encounter. And in starting in chapter 33, we see a different Jacob. We see how he's changed. If you look at verses 1 to 11 with me. 
And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front. Then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes, he saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all of this company that I met? And Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Do you remember how this story began back at the beginning of chapter 32? Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him. And now see, it just says he divided the children among Leah and Rachel, and he himself went on before them. Do you notice the difference? It no longer says that he was greatly afraid and distressed. Instead, he lines up his family and then goes before them to meet Esau. He doesn't send someone else ahead of him. Jacob goes first to meet Esau. And maybe the way that Esau responds is still unknown to Jacob. But these actions are no longer a man of a man who is afraid. He has changed from full of fear to bold humility in his approach. This is proof that Jacob has been changed from his, by his wrestling experience. Having feared God, having encountered God himself, having seen the God face to face, his fear of Esau no longer holds weight. His acceptance from Esau is no longer as concerning to him. Coming face to face with Esau is now less significant. And Esau's face is less significant because God has dealt graciously with Jacob. He used to manipulate in order to gain wealth, but now instead we see him giving freely to his brother. He is so full of God's love that it is enough to sustain him. Whatever Esau's reaction, he can take the blow because he has experienced the fullness of God. Recently, I was at a conference, and after a day full of snacks, my coworker and I decided to go get some dinner. So I'm looking over the menu, and I ask the waiter how big the nachos are, to which he tells me they usually feed two people. So I order that. Then he asks me if I want to add smoked pork to it, which I agree to also. So a little while later, this pan of nachos comes out, and it's like a mountain, all right? There's all these toppings, and you have to dig in to find the chips, and I did my best, but I couldn't finish it. I almost made myself sick trying. Then he comes and asks if I want dessert. So I love dessert. I'll eat dessert anytime. But there was no way. I had no desire for dessert in this moment. I was full. What do you think it is that if you were full of, it would cause you to be fearless? This will be on the screen. 1 John 4, starting in verse 15. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Jacob's fear of Esau has been pushed out by the overflowing love of God, the favor of God in his life. When you are filled with the love of God, it's not like having an appetizer or a salad. It is an entree. There's not a single inch of room left for fear. You are full. So is who or what you're afraid of really who you should fear? Is getting favor from them really who you need favor from? Have you ever experienced being afraid of someone or something, and then you encountered something greater that made that first thing so much less significant, less fearful? Maybe you were doing a project at work, and your boss didn't like your results, and you're kind of like upset by that, right? But then like, the CEO comes in and sees your results, and he like, really likes it. So the CEO's opinion is so much greater than your boss that now you don't care that your boss criticized you. Or when you're in school, you seek approval for your grades. If your teacher says you're doing a good job, that's pretty good, right? But you really want praise from your parents. If you have your parents' praise, what the teacher thinks doesn't matter as much. Maybe in your parenting, right? Your friend could tell you that you're a good parent, but if your kid comes to you and says you're the best mom or best dad, it melts your heart. We have the best father. God is the greatest in the room, really the one we should fear most. He is the one that loves us most. And if we don't see it now, one day we will. He is always the greatest one. And we, like Jacob, need him to bless us. You might not see that today, but one day we all will. How? How are we blessed by God? Do we need to wrestle God down like Jacob did? No. Because Jesus, Jesus wrestled with God on our behalf. Jesus wrestled for us. He came to earth and lived among us, leading a sinless life. And then for our sake, he wrestled with God on the cross. The work is already finished. Jesus has done it. He has obtained the blessing for us. Because he wrestled for us, we can experience the favor of God. We are filled with his perfect love. And when we are full with the love of God, our fear of man dissipates, just like Jacob was no longer fearful in meeting Esau. And even though his fear is relieved, he still has to face Esau. This story of Jacob and Esau portrays the principles of reconciliation that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. If we look at Matthew 5, starting in verse 23, it says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Jacob has been blessed by God. He has God's favor, just like we have God's favor in Jesus. But he calls us to be reconciled to one another. And in this final scene of Jacob and Esau's conflict, we see the power of God at work. Jacob had wronged Esau, but when they meet again, before he can even say anything, 
Esau runs and embraces him. Jacob hasn't presented the gift that he prepared. He hasn't asked for forgiveness. He hasn't even said a word, and Esau isn't embracing him as the brother he loves, not a brother he wants to kill. And then he asks him, who are these with you, and what do you mean by all this? So Jacob lines up his family to meet Esau and says they've been graciously given to him by God. He's presenting them now in order to gain favor in Esau's eyes. Jacob has already been embraced by Esau, but he's still presenting the gift. And finally, after some back and forth, Esau accepts. You see, in those times, accepting a gift was a sign of reconciliation. So finally, Jacob and Esau's relationship has been fully restored. But it wasn't his gift or his strategic schemes that caused them to be reconciled. It was God. God reconciled them. God changed Esau's heart. Esau ran and embraced his brother, kissing him, and they wept together because God filled him with reconciling love. Jesus tells a story of reconciling love in the parable of the prodigal son. If we look in Luke 15, starting in verse 18, we can read this story. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus told this story of reconciling love from the father. It is a mere image of Esau's embrace with Jacob. God filled Esau with reconciling love so that Jacob's life would be preserved. And we have all been Jacob. We are all the prodigal. But Jesus runs to us and embraces us. Jesus is the true and better Esau. He didn't get the blessing. He got the curse. And even in the curse, he runs to us. He embraces us. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he has secured all that we need to be reconciled to God. The one we really should fear has loved us extravagantly. He has blessed us extravagantly. He has embraced us extravagantly. And let me ask you, what are you fearing today? What are you afraid of? Have you encountered God? Have you experienced his blessing, been filled with his love? Put your confidence in him, not in your own plans, not in trying to scheme your way out. Trust him. He will embrace you every time, whether you think you deserve it or not. And if you're sitting here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, how are you trying to handle your fear? Do you use things like Jacob tried to relieve that fear? Gifts, dividing up your things, hiding from it, putting on a show? What gift is big enough to appease those that you have wronged? I plead with you to receive the gift of God's love and salvation in Jesus. It is the only gift that can cast out fear, the only one. Do you guys see this today? We don't have to fear others. Jacob was fearless because he has the blessing, the untainted blessing of God. We've been blessed by Jesus, 
Jesus gave up the blessing and became the curse so that you and I could receive a new name, his name, the name of Christ. And that changes the way that we live. The face of man is now less significant than the face of God. And like Jacob, in Jesus we can say, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. One day, we will see God face to face, and our life will be preserved. We are walking toward that day, and in God, there's nothing to fear. Father, I thank you for these words this morning, for this message of reconciliation and hope and love, God. I pray that you would just fill us with your perfect love, your reconciling love, that we would let it cast the fear out of us, God. Pray that we would recognize that you are the greatest in this room today, that you are the greatest in every room we walk into and anywhere we go. You are greater than anything we face, God, and that you have given your son so that we can know that truth. We love you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.